Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Good morning and happy 4th of July weekend as we celebrate our nation's 246th birthday. We're excited to see each and every one of you here. Looking forward to a great day together. Uh, it's, it's neat to have this time together, and we got several fun things for the uh, 4th of July to celebrate, and we're glad that you are here. But several years ago, when Jane and I first uh, were married, I always said, hey, I want to be able to have a house where I can mow my lawn, keep it nice and green, cut short, and then I want to be able to, uh, you know, grill in the backyard, the kids are playing in the pool, and then out in the front, I want to put my American flag because I'm kind of patriotic that way. Several years, you may not know this, but I worked at a ranch in Tennessee and we'd have a rodeo every Friday and I would ride in on my golden Palomino because I was a big Roy Rogers back in the day, uh, way back in the day. Some of you may not even know who Roy Rogers is, but um, you know, happy trails to you and then all that. It's, it's good stuff. Uh, ride in on a golden ca- um, Palomino and I was wearing a Wrangler American flag shirt, cowboy hat. Man, America right there, right? And uh, also, I'm thankful for the flag, right? It means so much to me. And uh, all those years, I lived at a house. I never put my American flag up. But then I moved to our rental, and I finally was able to put an American flag up, all right? There was a little flag uh, holder, and my wife was like, there you go. Go ahead and, and, and put up the American flag. So I, I stuck it in there, and I was all excited. I was like, finally, get my American flag. And uh, shortly thereafter, I've only lived at that house just over three months, and there's a lot of walkers. I'm not talking about the walking dead, but I'm talking about like, there's a lot of people that walk their dogs and they go past my house. And I noticed they kind of stare at it, my American flag. They kind of stop and they kind of look at it, walk by. I'm kind of like, what's wrong with my American flag? Not big enough? I don't know. Like, you don't like the way it looks, you know? And then some people, they kind of do this. You know, they just kind of shake their head at it. I'm like, what was that? What was the head-shaking thing? What was that? You know? Um, and then somebody finally came over to my house, and they were like, American flag. I was like, yeah. They were like, oh, you're making a political statement. I was like, a political statement? I was like, maybe if I were to burn the flag, I'd be making a political statement. Maybe if I had the flag upside down, there'd be a political statement. But I'm just, I'm just flying a flag. So I can only use it to sell cars, and, and we can only have it on courthouses? Is that, is, that, is that it? You see, I love that flag, because it's because of what that flag is that many of you don't know this, that Jane was able to come to this country. You say, why? Because her grandfather, as a Filipino, was able to become a U.S. citizen if he served in the United States Navy. And because he served the United States Navy, he created a path of citizenship for Jane and her entire family because he was willing to in World War II to serve under that flag. So I'm grateful for that flag because I wouldn't be married. And my kids are grateful because they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for that flag. My brother-in-law, he served and graduated as a United States Marine Corps in the Marines. And I got to go to his graduation. It's super cool. You sit out there in San Diego, and it's hot in the sun, and it's a long procession where they have the graduating classes come through after they graduated. But we got to sit in the box 
with one of the highest ranked generals in the entire military. He was there because they were trying to get my brother-in-law to get him in this position. So they got his family in this box. We're sitting real close to this guy. And I was like, how cool is this, man? And then I was thinking, well, if the enemy wanted to take us out, I'm not in a good spot. I, sh- I shouldn't be this close to that guy, you know, in case anybody misses. And they hit me. Then I had Kane, bulletproof, you know, just kidding. Just kidding. Got to wake you guys up. You guys are a little bit sleepy. The 11 o'clock service, feeling it. You got to wake up. It's all good. Have more caffeine. And so I love that flag. It represents so much. But yet today it brings in this question that it's kind of like, why is the American flag become a political statement? And it brings up a deeper question. How do Christians deal with politics? That's a tough one. What are we to do with this political stuff? Because some of us, we get pulled one way or the other. Some of us were like, oh, I can be clear with my politics and I can kind of tell everybody where I'm at. And sometimes it's frustrating to talk about politics because we don't want to offend and we don't know what to say. Last week when the Supreme Court ruled, it was like one end, you want to celebrate, another end, there were some people that they were really upset. And they're like, what's going on? And here's the thing. I was only talking about Christians. (laughs) I wasn't around people that were non-Christians. You're around people that are Christians that they felt different ways. And so some of us have even heard, hey, separation of church and state, you Christians don't talk about politics. And so some of us are like, well, what do we do? And so I was doing some studying, some reading this week, and I came across a great quote by Dr. Adrian Rogers, and and he said something very profound I'd like to read to you. He said, the question should not be, should a Christian be involved with politics, but can we be a Christian and not be involved in politics. You see, Christians must participate not on the basis of parties, persons, or politics, but on principles. And so with that, we turn to the book of Psalms, chapter number 33. The book of Psalms is just that. It's a hymn book. It's a book of songs. It's a collection of songs. It took a thousand years to compile all 150 of these chapters that we sing. And music is powerful. Music is life-changing. And in these Psalms, we now realize that there's a message in these songs. My parents growing up, they didn't want me listening to certain music because certain music can influence you a certain way by its lyrics and its words. And yet we know the power of music. Music shapes our thinking and our feelings, so music is powerful. But I want to look at one verse in Psalms 33. Now don't get excited. That doesn't mean it's going to be a short message. So you're like, oh, excellent. We're going to be in and out. This is great. Pick the right Sunday to come to church. No, I may take my time because there's not another service after you. So get back, sit back, get comfortable, put the tray tables upright, lock position. We're, we're, we're taking off. Verse number 12. And I would like to read this together if we can. All right. Psalms 33, verse 12. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Begin. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. A blessed nation. No matter what side politically you lean or who you vote for, I think at the heart of all of it, we all can agree we would all want to have and to live in a blessed nation. But the question, therefore, is what is a blessed nation? How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever been outside of our country to what we call a third world country? Any of you? Oh, okay, there we go. All right. 
The, second ser- the first service, hands up everywhere. I was surprised. This service, not so much. So next week, we're all going to Cabo. Third world country. Just kidding. You're like, yes, take me to Cabo. Let's go. No. There's something, the moment you step out of the airport in a third world country, the moment you, you, you step out and you see the sights and you smell the smells and you, you see the traffic and you see the way people are, all of a sudden you will in that moment realize you live in a blessed nation with many comforts, with many amenities. And all of a sudden you can look back and be like, wow, we have a lot to be thankful for. But is that the sum total of everything that America is? Just the benefits and the creature comforts? No, it's more than that. And I think some of us are having a hard time understanding what is a blessed nation. So I'm going to use a little help this morning. And Brian, can you help me? I think, I think we need a better picture. And so let's, let's play this to get a better picture of what a blessed nation is. If tomorrow all the things were gone Little Lee Greenwood And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars uh-huh. To be living here today Okay, there we go The flag still stands for mm-hmm. freedom And they can't take that away Okay, all right. It's a good line. Such a good song, right? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Only one problem. It's not all that true. You say, what do you mean? What do you mean? You see, for the long time growing up, I grew up in what you would call a conservative home, meaning they voted, they leaned conservative. And so that's just how I grew up. And so that's influenced me. And there's a, a talking point on media. But I've noticed whether you listen to what you would call conservative news whether you listen to what you would call more liberal or moderate news, all of them have the same talking point. Here's the talking point they all use. It's this, we need to lead this nation and we need to fight for this nation for our children and our grandchildren. And it's like, yeah, all right. God bless the USA for my children, my grandchildren. And, and, and we start thinking that way. The only problem is a blessed nation is not a present to be given away. That's not what he's talking about in this passage. And if you and I are looking at it like a present, then we're looking at it as, oh, I've got to preserve this and I've got to fight for it. And I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. And when we start thinking about that thinking, and then we start, if I've got to fight for this, I'm looking for an enemy. And sometimes we can even go to church looking for enemies. And I'll tell you this, if you are thinking you've got to fight for something, that means you've got an enemy. And if that enemy is not the devil, they're not your enemy. They're the opportunity. But yet in our thinking, we think, man, I got to find who my enemy is. And I got to make sure they don't win. I got to make sure they lose. But the reality is we need to step back because uh, 
a blessed nation is not a present, it is a set of principles. That's what a blessed nation is. It's a set of principles. And I originally thought, man, I, I like this verse, verse number 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I was thinking, man, I, I really hope the guy in the White House knows that this verse exists. Man, I really hope the vice president knows this verse exists. I hope our senators know this verse exists. I hope our congressmen and women know this verse exists. I hope our governor knows this verse exists and our mayor. But you know, the most important person that needs to know that this verse exists is me and you. Because America is not a present to give to our kids. It is principles that we live by. But we now have gotten to a point where we would rather just consider it something that we just hand to somebody else and not the principles. So the first principle is the Pledge of Allegiance is our priority. In verse number 12, that's what it is. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I grew up in a Christian school, and at the Christian school, we would start every morning with the Pledge of Allegiance. Hand over your heart. And then we'd say, ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag for the United States and to his kingdom of saints. One nation, under God, And there's that line, one nation under God. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is money, whose God is Hollywood or media. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord is what it's saying. So here's the reality. It's talking about allegiance, but allegiance to who? And notice it doesn't say to a political party. Allegiance is not to a system. The allegiance is to God. So first and foremost, a blessed nation is a nation who says our allegiance is to God. That's the one that we pledge allegiance to. And so that's something that for a long time, even political leaders and even religious leaders knew. I love this quote by one president said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. William Penn said, if we will not be governed by God, we will be ruled by tyrants. Another quote said this, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. See, the Pledge of Allegiance says, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America, one nation under God. This is about submission, not subjugation. We are to live in submission to God. That means to come under his mission. That's what a blessed nation does. A blessed nation says, I'm submissive to what God wants for me. And I'm going to submit myself to that plan and his purpose. That's what I'm going to do. And that is something that we need to stop looking at others to do what we are called to do. We are called to live in submission to God. I do not expect anybody outside of this church to live that way. I expect me and you to live that way. That's our calling. And it's real easy to get mad at other people that don't know. But you and I now know we're to live under that calling. But sadly, we want to lower what we're supposed to do to some political platform. But this blessing, I love it. The next part of the verse says the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Notice this. The blessing is conditional, not covenantal. This is a conditional blessing. There's only one people group that gets a covenant blessing as a nation, as a people. And that's the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, Israel. They're the only people that God said, I made a covenant with you. And that's why they still exist 
today because of that covenant. You and I, we don't live under covenant. We live under this condition. It's conditional. Will we follow these principles? And if we will follow these principles, we will be blessed. But many of us, when it came to this pledge of allegiance to God, we treat this allegiance and we treat it more with convenience. Ah, if it's convenient for me to follow God, I'll follow him. If it's not convenient, then eh, I'm not going to follow him. So we need to once again prioritize our allegiance as a priority. That I am, uh, my, my allegiance is to God, first and foremost. It's to him that's going to rule and reign. Because many of us, we don't understand that this earth is going to come and go. And we are citizens of heaven. And as that citizens of that kingdom, of that kingdom, that's where our first loyalty is. Yes, have an American flag. Yes, be involved in politics. Be involved. Vote for a side. Get involved. I'm not saying don't get involved. What I am saying is many of us, we wrap up our hope in a political party. And that's not the way it should be. That we prioritize our allegiance to God and Him first. So the question is, if you are going to live in a blessed nation, where does your loyalties lie? Is it your party first, God second? Is it your way of living? I'm just trying to protect my way of life. It's not about protecting your party or your way of life. It's about allegiance to God first. Let's continue on. You see, we need to replace what's in place. Verse 13. The Bible says, The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. In this passage, we see a king, we see a man, and we see a horse. If you were to watch a king go to war and you would see two kings, rival kings about to war with each other and you were to place a bet on who would win, you would look at the king who has the biggest army and you say, the king with the biggest army, that's the king who's going to win. That's the king that I'm going to pick to win. If you were watching uh, two MMA fighters, if you watch two men wrestling or fighting, you're going to look at the stronger guy. So that guy looks stronger. I bet he's going to win. If you were to watch a horse race, you would look at the biggest, strongest, fastest horse. you say, that's the horse that's going to win. This is what we would call logical, rational, conventional thinking. But it's not biblical thinking. And he's trying to drive a point home here. He's trying to get us to replace something that's in place. And what we need to replace is we've got this logical way of thinking and some of you, you lean liberal, and that's a logical way for you to think. Some of you lean moderate, and that's a logical way to think. Some of you lean conservative, and that's a logical way to think. But understand, before you teach a liberal, moderate, or conservative view to your children, how about you teach a biblical view first? How about you start with what the Bible says first? Because we've come to a society now where we want to put party before our priority of allegiance. And we need to get back to saying, how do we stay a blessed nation? And a blessed nation is not one where we say, oh man, this whole group of people, let's put them on an island and let's blow up the island. And I've heard both sides, actually there's more than two sides. The Green Party still exists, okay? So there's multiple sides in this and they all want to fight with each other. 
And it's like a marriage when you fight with your spouse. When you win the fight or the argument, who wins? Nobody. You both lose because none of you are sleeping in the same room. Somebody's getting a couch and a sore back. You're both losing when you fight. In the United States of America, we say, man, this is, this is my principles. I need to fight for these. I understand that there are some battles we need to fight for. I understand that. But God is saying our hope is not in a king. Our hope is not in a man with strength. Our hope is not in a horse. The king represented authority and royalty. The man represents strength and the horse represents military might. God is saying, hey, those things seem logical, rational, and normal, but our hope doesn't lie in those things. And then he even goes on to say, can those save your soul? No. Our hope needs to lie in the one who can save our soul. Only God can save our soul. You see, the Bible tells us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Abraham Lincoln rightly said, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. That needs to be the point. Not bringing God unto ours, but making sure we're on God's side. Conventional thinking isn't always Christian thinking. So pick carefully where you place your hope. Where is your hope this morning? Some of us, our hope is in if we take the House and the Senate in the fall. Some of you, your hope is, man, as long as we don't lose the House and the Senate in the fall. There's different groups. And that's where we're placing our hope. And God is like, that's a wrong place. That is logical. That is conventional thinking. But that's not biblical thinking. That's not how a blessed nation thinks. A blessed nation thinks, man, I got to replace what's in place. And I hope in God. That's my hope. Because kingdoms come and kingdoms fall. And while I'm here, I'll be a good citizen. I'll be engaged in the process. But understand, my hope is always in God first and foremost. You see, kings, men, and even horses can't save your soul from death. But God can. You see, even if and when you are blessed, we always need God. But sometimes we're just locked into this thinking that our hope, where's our hope? And here's one point I need to make. Some of us, our hope is in the transformation of institutions and not individuals. We think if we can get the institutions to change, then we're good. And it's backwards thinking. Our focus as the church is leading people to find and follow Jesus. You see, it is a heart issue. Many of us are looking at these shootings that are happening across America, and we think it's a hardware issue. When it's not, it's a heart issue. That's what we have to reach. If you reach the individual, the institutions will change. But we instead have it inverted, and we're focusing on the institution, and we wonder why we're not seeing real and lasting change. Because it's a heart issue. Because we're all... The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And only God can change their heart. I was late coming into the service because one person's pouring out their heart about what's happening in their family and they're breaking down. They're in tears in the lobby because of the brokenness of humanity. And yet you and I need to step back and we're thinking, well, let's just reform the schools. Let's reform the government. And God is saying, no, only I can transform the heart. We must seek first God and say, God, only you can change the heart. I can stand here and preach and spit and holler and yell until I'm black and blue in the face and that will do nothing. It's only God who can change you. I can't change any of you. Only God can change you. Only God can take away that 
that, that, that drive to do wrong. Only God can deliver you. I can't. I'm just as fallen and broken as you. And so we've got to step back because we're, we're coming into a climate where, especially around in the Christian community, we're like, man, we got to reform these institutions. And I'm all about reforming the institutions. I'm all about it. I'm all about these things. But not at the expense of losing the individual. It's about reaching the lost. You see, the focus must be on saving Americans, not just America. We've lost sight of that. Because when we reach Americans, we will see America changed. Now, I know not everybody is maybe a U.S. citizen. I was married to a woman who was, for a long time, that woman is Jane, just in case you were wondering. Which other woman was he married to? No, for a long time, remember, she was not a U.S. citizen, all right? So I know what that's like. I know the struggle and the challenge with that. But our focus, that's what we're called to. But too many times, we feel like the other side is the enemy. And if, the other, uh, if, if, if you need an enemy to exist... What that does is it fosters this constant fight. And God didn't call us to that. What's sad is that we see people as the enemy and not an opportunity. If I come to church and, and, and if I see people as an enemy, I'm never going to be able to share the love of Christ with them. I'm never going to be able to say, hey, how can we reach you? How can we tell you about Jesus? If I see people as headed a different direction. And I'm like, oh man, can't be around those people. No. I need to be able to look at them with the eyes of love and say, how can I reach that person? How can I let that person know that Jesus died for him? Because he is the hope. He's the reason that we keep going. And if we forget this principle, it will lead to the unintended casualty of our country. But we've got to once again say, God, I'm focused on seeing what you want seeing what you want to do. See, we have to care more about saying, God, your will be done, not mine. You know, I have two kids. I got a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old. And we'll play basketball. We'll play sports. And one of the things that we'll do when we're playing these, these games is my 5-year-old, I will lose at basketball. We'll be playing, and I'll lose. And then my son Austin will come over and be like, you lost to a 5-year-old. Like, you're the biggest loser, Dad. Like, who loses to a five-year-old? Like, I can't believe, I don't even know if I want to be seen with you. You're like a grown man who lost to this five-year-old. Like, how do you sit with yourself? Just slit your wrist. Just end it, man. That's kind of how, he's a bit dramatic. And then I will play a game with my 10-year-old, and I'll lose to a 10-year-old, and I'll be playing video games with him, and I'll lose. And then Caleb will be like, oh, dad, how could you do that? How could you lose? Now, in all honesty, any game I'm playing with any of my kids, basketball, football, or just throwing the Frisbee, at any point in that game, I can win. It's not a matter of, oh, no, I really do suck at all sports. No. Because at any point, if we're playing football or basketball, I can clothesline my 10-year-old. Kabam! You know? Like at any time. And then blame it on his brother. Like it's easy. I have no problem telling Jane. As long as she wasn't there, I'd be like, they did it to themselves. I don't know what happened. A little concussion, a little broken arm. I don't know. I was just there. I was on my phone. You see, the point I'm trying to make is if you already know that you've won, you don't care. 
we've got to get out of this mindset of, oh, I have to win. How about we get in the mindset of, as a Christian, we know we've already won. You see, sin has been conquered. The grave has been conquered. Read the book of Revelation. Jesus comes back and ushers in the millennial reign of Christ, and we rule and reign with him. Many of us are like bummed about it because we're like, man, I'm going to spend forever in heaven, and heaven doesn't seem that fun. No, God's creating a new heaven and a new earth. We're coming back here to rule and reign with him. That's what's going to happen. You're not spending forever in heaven, having a little heart, being a little baby with wings and a diaper. That's not heaven. That is a totally different place entirely. Okay? And that is a very relatively new incarnation of what angels. You're like, I do not want to be a little naked baby on fluffy clouds playing a harp for all eternity. I'd rather go to the other place. All right? No, that's not it. God's bringing us back here where we're going to be under a divine monarchy with God. He's going to rule and reign, and Jesus will be here in a new Jerusalem. That's our future. We already know we've won, so why are we so worried about fighting? Why are we so obsessed with it? And why do we got to treat neighbors and others with this hostility when we're like, wait a minute, God's got this. Unless you don't believe that you've actually won. If you don't believe you've actually won, then you, that, your reaction is totally normal and logical. If you don't believe that at the end of it all, God wins, then yeah, maybe you have a right to be frustrated. But thirdly and finally, let me share this last few verses. Verse number 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. You see, we live in a land of independence. But how are you using your independence? In these verses, it reminds us that we hope in God. As we celebrate our nation's independence, let this be a call for us to use that independence to practice dependence on God to depend on him. You know, when I first moved to San Jose in 2007, at the church I was working at, there was a pilot in the church who asked me if I wanted to go on a a flight with him. I said, sure, that'd be great. And he was like, okay, bring your camera. And back then our cameras weren't connected to our phone. These little silver looking things made by Nikon or uh, Canon. And it had five megapixels. You know how bad five megapixels is? But at the time, you're like, wow, such an amazing camera. Everybody walked around with cameras. And I was like, excellent, we're going to go. So I show up at Reed Hillview Airport off of Capitol, and I get there, and I'm all excited. We're going to go flying around in a plane. My grandpa owned a Cessna, and so I was like, man, this is going to be great. And then I see my friend who's from New Zealand, he start walking over to the plane, and he's carrying something. And he's from New Zealand. And so he's like, good morning, Micaiah. And he didn't call me Micaiah. He called me Micaiah. And then he was like, here's your backpack. And I was like, all right, Taika Waititi, what is this backpack for? You know, and he hands it over to me. And I was just like, what kind of plane are we getting in? And then he takes me over to a plane. And I was like, there's no metal on that plane. Because it was a Satabria, which a Satabria doesn't really have any metal. It's actually like this polyurethane type material. You can push on it. It's like cellophane wrap. It's like you can see your handprint in the side of it. Little metal frame. And I was like, what am I about to get into? And he's like, get in the back. And then I get in the back and he starts pushing the plane into position. I was like, 
what is he doing? He's pushing the plane out on this little Reed Hillview runway. And then he gets in and then we take off. And that's when he begins to tell me what type of plane this is. Because Satabria is simply, the name Satabria is aerobatics spelled backwards. This is an aerobatics plane. You say, what's an aerobatics plane? You ever seen those planes on TV that do the flips, the corkscrew dives, the crazy maneuvers all over as fast as they can? That's what type of plane this was. I don't even like roller coasters. If he would have told me there was no way I was going to get in this plane. All of a sudden, we take off. And he's like, I got to get more airspeed. So he starts putting into a dive. He starts doing all these flips and corkscrews and Thor hammer moves. There's literally a movie called Thor's hammer. And he's doing all this crazy stuff. And I'm screaming. And I couldn't believe this ride that we are on. And then he says, all right, my car, take the stick. And I was like, take the what? Take the stick. No, I'm good. I'm trying to hold in lunch. I don't think that's a good idea. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with this plane. And he's like, In that moment, he said something profound, powerful. He said, there is nothing you can do in this plane that I can't fix. Go ahead and take the stick. Even though he had released control to me, he was still in control the entire time. God has released control on government but he still always has control. God rules, overrules, and removes rulers in a moment if he wants to. This is why we're to be involved in government. This is why we pray to our leaders, pray for them. This is why we pray for God to work. This is the reason we stay involved, but understand they do not have the final say. God does, and that's where our hope lies, that God is in control. Even when everything in life feels out of control, You know, personally, I try to work out. I try to eat right. I try to go to bed relatively early by 10 o'clock. I try to uh, uh, maintain a balanced type emotional psyche because ministry is hard and it's difficult. But this week was just one of those weeks where it didn't matter how well you ate, how much sleep you got. I just got in fights with everybody. Not like fist fights. I'm small. I don't get in fist fights with people. I'm smarter than that. But it just seemed like everybody I was coming in contact with, we were just getting into an argument and a fight. And I was like, God, I can't do this. I can't walk around trying to serve as I'm getting in fights with people. I was so frustrated. I was just, I was just like one of those moments where you're so angry at yourself, not people, because you're like, oh, I just can't do anything right. And it was in that moment as I was studying for this message that God began to whisper something to my heart. He was like, do you feel that, Micaiah? You feel that weight? You feel that powerlessness that's to remind you of how weak you are thanks God I didn't need the reminder but okay it was to remind you how weak you are but how strong I am and right now some of us are so frustrated by what's happened in our country we feel so powerless and weak and God wants you to be reminded of how strong he is in this situation and it's not And I'm all for getting involved in politics. I'm all for you doing your part. But never underestimate and never forget our allegiance is to God first. And when he moves, he can do it. He can change in a moment. Herod was giving a speech in the Bible and God didn't like what he said. And in a moment, Herod was gone. 
God can take care of things in a moment. But yet we as God's people have to step back and say, God, I trust you. God, I know that you're going to work. And God's word, we can trust it. I'm preaching from a Bible I failed to mention in the first service. This Bible was printed in 1907. This Bible's over 100 years old. It was printed by an act of Congress for the nation's youth. There was an act of Congress that they wanted to make sure all the youth of the United States had a copy of the Bible. So they literally enacted and printed Bibles to send out to every American youth. I think we would flip over in our grave if this week you got a package in the mail and it says from the White House and you open it up and in it is a Bible. I think you would just lose it. And I think some of us feel like, see how far we've come? But I step back and I say, God, I want your blessing. It doesn't matter if that's what they did one time and they haven't done it yet. What matters is my allegiance. And I think what is so easy is we want everybody else to fix themselves so that we don't have to. We, don't, we just want our wife our husband or our kids or our boss. We want our institutions to change themselves so we can just keep being ourselves. But God doesn't allow us to do that. God's like, no, 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 no. You want to live in a blessed nation? Starts with you. Starts with how you pray for people. Starts with how you behave. It starts with how you reach out to others. It starts with us. We are looking for others to do what we must do. We must step back and say, God, I want your blessing. I want your strength. I want your help. And God, man, it'd be great if they printed Bibles again and sent it to our youth. They need it. Our youth need it. But God, until that day comes, my allegiance is to you. And God, I will replace what is put in place. I'm not going to think just logically. I'm going to think biblically. And then God, I'm going to use my independence for dependence because this is not a present to pass on to our children these are principles and we must get these principles if we're going to pass them on let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed Heavenly Father Lord we just pray in this moment that you would help us God we want to know that we are a blessed nation and we can if we will follow your principles We can know it. If we will do what you've called us and you've told us to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you're struggling. You're on one of either side of the aisle and you're just frustrated with all the politics and you don't know what to do. And it's it's causing a lot of frustration in your own life. And you just say, Pastor, just pray for me. I'm struggling with this. Can I pray for you? Is that you? Slip up your hand. Oh, amen. I see that. I see that. Amen. Amen. God bless you for your honesty. I want to pray for you. But maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know God as my Savior. I don't know about this hope. There's no king. There's no man. There's no horse that can deliver me from uh, death. So God, I need you. Maybe you today is that day you need to receive Christ as your Savior. Is that you? Slip up your hand and say, today I want to give my life to Christ. Is that you? Anybody like that? Pray for you. Well, if I can pray for you after the service, I'd love to pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. God, I just thank you for the country we live in. 
God, we are blessed. But these are principles to hold, to live, to teach. Help us, Father. We need you. I pray for these that raise their hands and said, they're struggling. They're struggling with things that are happening. They're struggling with things that aren't happening. And God, it gets impossible to live sometimes. So help us in this place. God, we need you. We pray that you would work in a mighty way. Send us a revival. Heal our land. But may it start right here with me. I need to hope in you. I need to do right. Guide me. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Worship team. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.